Hello, everyone. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants. Welcome to Business Casual, our weekly podcast with my co-hosts, Maria Wickfilla and Caroline Diarty edwards Caroline, of course, is a co-founder of Fortuna Admissions, the MBA admissions consulting firm, and a former director of admissions, chief of admissions at NCAD. And Maria, of course, is the founder of Applicant Lab, which is sort of a do-it-yourself tool software program to help applicants guide them through the process of applying to a top school. We are going to talk today about something that we do every year at Poets and Quants, which is to assess the cost of a top MBA program. Every year, we look at the top 25 and see uh, what it costs to attend, not only in tuition, but the estimates that schools provide on room and board and the additional fees that they tack on to uh, tuition. You'll be not surprised to learn that, you know, obviously an MBA for a top 25 school is a major investment. I've always said that once you toss in the opportunity costs of foregoing your earnings, you know, you're looking at it larger than any other purchase in your life outside of a home. <laughs> and this year, I would say, you know, the, the top school is in New York City. It's actually NYU Stern. The two-year cost in tuition, room and board and fees is $243,000. Stanford is next because we know how expensive it is to live in California. The total cost there is about $240,000. Dartmouth-Tuck, $238,000. Same at Columbia, MIT, $236,000. Interestingly enough, there are nine schools uh, that, where the costs are higher than Harvard Business School, Harvard right now is priced at $223,000. I always think that one of the interesting things about these numbers is that when you look at the estimated room and board and fee costs, in addition to the tuition, you know, you could make the argument that, well, look, for two years, you're going to have to pay room and board somewhere anyway. So what does it matter? But most of these estimates that are provided by the school are for, let me call it a conservative lifestyle. You know, at many of these elite schools, MBAs uh, live a very rich life, going out for drinks and uh, expensive restaurant meals. And, and maybe many people don't want to live in a graduate dormitory. They would prefer to share an apartment or have their own apartment, which really significantly increases all of these price tags on the degree. So let's start with Maria. How do you make sense of this? I mean, I, I, I want to kind of put these numbers into some sort of context. If I'm looking at $243,000 to get an MBA from NYU Stern, and I'm not even thinking about the loss of my earnings for two years, how do I get my head around that and say, yeah, this is worth it? I think you look at it the same way you would look at any long-term investment where there's an enormous capital outlay up front. And the expectation or hope is that you will recoup that in the decades that follow. So I think most people who get MBAs ultimately do acknowledge, even if they didn't love the experience as much as they were hoping, even the most sort of disgruntled and grumpy graduates will acknowledge that their earnings potential has been pretty significantly increased as a result of doing the program. So my quick answer is look at it as you would, you know, you compared it to a house, right? If you buy a house and you live in it for 30 years, 
you know, like, yeah, it's going to cost a lot up front, but think about how long you will be benefiting from that purchase. Yeah, that's really true. And, and, and you think about the appreciation that you're going to get from it. And in this sense, the appreciation is not merely the bump you get when you graduate, but really uh, the bump you get throughout your career, because every percentage increase on a bigger base is very significant. The other big thing is there are opportunities that, that you will have with the MBA that are otherwise unavailable to you. Good example, frankly, would be firms that really rely on uh, business schools for their talent pool. So McKinsey, Bain, BCG, right off the start, where you know the starting salary is $165,000 with a $35,000 sign-on bonus. If you're an engineer or you're into marketing or you're into any field and you want to get into consulting, you're pretty much, you don't have a choice. You, you, you have to go to a top MBA program really uh, to get those jobs. So uh, that's, that's justifies the expense because those jobs are incredibly lucrative. And while you have to work really hard at them, there is a, an immediate bump that is sustained over the period. Uh, that you're working at a McKinsey, Bain, BCG, or a Deloitte, or you know any other of the major consulting firms, for one thing. Caroline, how do you make sense of this? Yeah, I mean, I think as you said, you have to take a long-term perspective on this, and um, it's interesting to look at some of the data on return on investment. And um, you know, you know, the Forbes ranking is based on purely financial data, right? Return on investment, yes. payback time, and so on. And it's very impressive, right? The the payback time on these um, top MBAs, it's just a few years. It's, we're not even talking decades, right? We're talking single finger years. And so when you think about the return on investment that you will actually generate over an entire career, it, it's it's very impressive. So despite the the huge ticket ticket price and and you know that that entry to to a whole new world looks very intimidating. And it looks like, you know, you're taking a big risk. And I often talk to candidates uh, who are thinking about applying, not even sure about applying because, you know, they're so concerned about taking on that financial risk that is unsecured, right? And, um, you know, if you buy a house, you can sell the house and you've got you've got an asset, but you're investing in yourself. And so it's much more intangible and can feel much more risky. But as Maria said, it's very rare that anyone regrets going to business school. And if they do have some regrets, it's often about, you know, the choice of community or the place that they were and not about, you know, the whole idea of doing an MBA and whether that had a payback for them in their career. So uh, I I do think, you know, it's still important to find the right fit for you and to get into the best school that you can, where you feel, you know, you will be able to achieve your goals. And sometimes I speak with people who get into multiple programs and then they're lured to a program that was not their top choice because of um, scholarship offers. And it can be very difficult to turn down, um, you know, a, a, a generous scholarship, you know, and, and to and then to take on the the financial risk yourself of um, going to the program that was the one that you actually had your heart set on. But I always advise candidates to take, if possible, to take some of that those financial elements out of the decision and think about really 
which school is the best fit for you, where you feel much most comfortable, um, where you think, you know, which environment is, is best suited to enabling you to achieve your goals. Because at the end of the day, you will pay those loans back, you'll get the return on investment. And that's something that will stay with you that that experience and that the, the alumni network and, and so on will stay with you for the rest of your life. And, and so I think sometimes candidates are too focused on the short term of, you know, the calculations, the and how much it's going to cost them, the size of the loan they have to take out and scholarship offers and so on. And I, I wish often that they were less in, influenced by those. And I know how difficult it is when it's such a huge amount of money, but I always encourage them to take a long-term perspective and it's possible not give too much weight to the financial considerations. Yeah, and as you mentioned, the other aspect of putting this into context is scholarship or fellowship aid. <clears throat> you know, the schools are, are in literally an arms race uh, to offer discounts on these numbers. So you can, you can consider these numbers sticker prices. And if you look at what kinds of fellowship or scholarship is available to people, at most schools, it's considerable. I mean, and there are MBA programs, to be totally honest about this, that where almost every person gets a scholarship and many people get a free ride. And those tend to be not the best programs, sure. Those tend to be smaller programs where schools want to maintain uh, a certain leadership position on a ranking, and they're literally paying for their students, better students to come than they would otherwise get. Uh, but you can get a really good deal at some of these schools. And then even at the best schools, they're quite generous. So let's look at Stanford. The average fellowship at Stanford is $42,000 a year or $84,000 in total awards over a two-year period. At Harvard, the average fellowship is just under 40 grand a year or roughly $80,000 total and half the class gets it. So that's an extraordinarily large amount of uh, discounting that's going on at Stanford and Harvard. And yes, these schools have large endowments and yes, these schools tend to be among the most generous, but a lot of the other schools then have to basically ante up to be in the competition for the best applicants. And there are a lot, a lot of schools that have hundreds of scholarships, grants, fellowships, and awards. Uh, UCLA is one. Berkeley, you know, annually, annually spends uh, millions around its relatively small MBA cohort. And when you look at this, many times you can apply for aid, uh, and it doesn't take a lot of extra effort either. So it's not like this is something that should be all that time consuming. I think what Caroline mentioned about people taking offers that they might not otherwise accept because of the scholarship award that's dangled in front of them so that they don't have to borrow as much money. I mean, ultimately, you're right, Caroline, you've, you've got to know you want that degree from that school, and you've got to be pretty darn certain about it to pass up a Wharton or a Columbia or a Harvard or Stanford and go somewhere else uh, because you don't want to get heavily into debt. Uh, don't be accepting an offer, no matter how generous it is. Yeah, uh, if it, you're, it's going to turn, if it's going to turn you away from you know the dream school, the the, the best possible uh, education outcome that you, know, you could get from it. What's 
What's another way to actually, you know, weigh these offers? Because I, I bet both of you in counseling applicants to top schools get involved not only in the upfront process of here's how you apply and here's how you increase your odds of getting in, but just as importantly on the choice issue. Because if you have multiple offers and you're thinking about this and cost is an issue for, for you, how do you think about it? Is there a framework for this? Uh, Maria, what do you advise people? I mean, I, I, there's a framework, but I would say it's more of an art than a science. I think that there are so many qualitative elements that should go into your decision. So on the quantitative side, yes, I think you should look at the career outcomes for your desired career from the, you know, the career placement reports, how many people go into your desired career, talk to the students, how easy is it to get that job that you're dreaming of. Um, but I also think that there's a cultural component too. each one of these top schools has a slightly different cultural vibe. And I think there's something to be said for being you know, near your tribe, so to speak, finding people that are more yeah. aligned with you. And so I think those are the, there's the quantitative aspect or the quantifiable aspect, like the more hard, tangible aspect of, do they offer the classes I want? Do they have the career outcomes I want? But then I think there are also the, the other things like the culture, even the location, for example, if you really want to live on the West Coast, you know, it, it won't hurt to go to a school on the West Coast because people tend to stay, even if, even if a large percentage of a class does disperse geographically, there is usually also a pretty big chunk that stays in the area. So if you want to live in the Midwest, maybe you do value an offer from a booth or a Northwestern a little bit more than you might an, you know, an offer from a, an East Coast school, for example. Right. Yeah, totally. And often, you know, geography is destiny. There tends to be more of an alumni network uh, around the schools, whether East, West, Midwest, and that helps. There also tends to be a certain different sets of companies that may be recruiting at these different schools. So uh, geography is also you know, a real key component of where you decide to go. Are you surprised that the most expensive school, just in terms of tuition, forget room and board, forget the additional fees that schools tack on and uh, expense their students, but the most expensive MBA program in the world today is MIT Sloan, $79,000 a year in tuition. Are either of you surprised that MIT would be that high and, and be number one over, you know, Harvard, Stanford, Wharton, Kellogg, Chicago? Well, there's not a huge amount to choose between them, is it? So is there? So, so I don't know exactly how the schools calculate this, but it also depends what it is included. Sometimes there are different things that are included in, in the tuition, different, different additional costs. So I don't think those small differences are going to make a, a big difference at the end of the day to, to the total cost of the overall experience. And I think that actually, you know, location plays in more to the calculation of cost um, because there can be a big difference in paying rent you know, in Palo Alto versus um, some other metropolitan areas. So, right, it, it, I mean, it's it, there's a, there's a cluster of of tuition fees, and they're all they're all fairly close together. Yeah, and the, the exception would be, you know, uh, among the top twenty five schools, it's 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 uh, probably not a surprise that the three uh, least expensive opportunities are all at public universities, right? 
So if you look at Indiana Kelly, it's 52,000. Uh, University of Washington, the Foster School, uh, 54,000 a year. Uh, UT Austin McCombs is $58,000 a year. Compared with at the top, you know, MIT at 79, NYU at 79, uh, Dartmouth at $78,000, uh, Columbia at 77000 So, you know, you're looking in that case at a $20,000 a year difference or $40,000 over the two-year period. But obviously, you know, you it, it's, uh, it's, it's a reputational image or prestige game. The, the brands like MIT, Stern, Dartmouth, Columbia, Kellogg, Wharton, Chicago, Stanford, Yale – obviously have more pricing power than Indiana, Washington, UT, Georgetown, or Rice, uh, all of whom have uh, among the top 25 MBA programs, the more affordable price tags. Is the premium worth it? Do you remember how much you paid for your MBA, Maria? (laughs) I don't. I think I blanked it out of my out of my head. But I, you know, to Caroline's earlier point, even, even I, who went into the startup world right after business school. And so my monetary compensation was not as high as it was for some of my classmates. Even I was able to pay off my debt fully, I think within 10 years. Um, and so it, you know, you really are able to, you know, pay it, pay it off. It's not as daunting once you actually graduate. And so I think there is, I think the premium is worth it. It, it, a difference between say an Indiana versus a Sloan, I I would pay that that difference. Yeah, and now I do know that you remember how much your room and board was at Harvard Business School. Yes, that's well, the room, because I was in a dorm, a teeny dorm room that was only slightly wider than the twin bed that was in it. Um, but yeah, I I'll think that was about, it, it was about, it was about seven, I think it was $700 a month, but that did not include food. So there right. was a cafeteria on campus where I ate most of my meals. And so that was, you know, obviously that would just add up uh, depending on what I chose to eat in a given day. But yeah, yeah. I do believe no. that Maria was on bread and water. I, <laughs> more and like water. It was more like Mountain Dew. And uh, <laughs> yeah, this, this, Coffee. Is before, this is before the Raymond, the Raymond Noodle uh, phenomena, right? Energy bars. Ramen. Yeah, exactly. Oh man, I could have really used some energy bars back then. That would have been pretty, pretty transformative. <laughs> As a point of contrast, you know, the room and board at Harvard Business School is thirty thousand two hundred and seventy bucks a year, and the highest room and board is at Stanford, where it's thirty four thousand eight hundred and six bucks a year. Now, the argument on this, like I mentioned earlier, is that look, uh, you're going to have to pay room and board somewhere. So that's an expense that you're already incurring and will, so to incur it at a business school, the only difference is that you're not having income to help pay for it. But um, you obviously have to have that expense no matter what you do. Caroline, you were going to make a point. Yeah. So I wanted to put in a plug, if I may, rather shamelessly for the one-year programs. No, um, I, I was, <laughs> was going to go there next because I was going to ask you, Caroline, if you recall, how much you paid for your one-year uh, MBA at NCI. Oh, God, I mean, like Maria, I can barely remember. I think it was something in the 40,000 euros, and now it's about 90,000 euros. So it has gone up considerably. So that's about $100,000. Um, but the payback is fantastic at these one-year programs. So True. 
You know, we mentioned the Forbes ranking, which is based on um, financial data. And, you know, Stanford and Chicago are at the top there with a four-year payback. And INSEAD and IMD, which are at the top of or IMD and INSEAD at the top of the Forbes ranking, it's about two and a half years to pay back. So, so right. you know, it's difficult to argue with a financial proposition of these top one-year programs because it does make a tremendous difference if you are incurring, you know, living costs and paying tuition and foregoing your salary for one year rather than two. It's a very powerful formula. And I know that a lot of people apply to these programs uh, with the intention of, um, you know, being able to um, leverage that 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 more efficient format and um, and therefore, you know, benefit from those cost savings. And that's that's a huge part of the value proposition of these of these programs. And it's it's great for attracting candidates from around the world because of the, a lot of the. Um, students at these programs have not been earning, you know, US style salaries before they, before they go off to business school. And so, you know, if you're working in India, or you're working in, you know, some other parts of the, the world, um, emerging economies where salaries are much lower, regardless of, you know, how prestigious your, 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 your job is, it, you just don't have the same savings power, right? So, it, it makes a tremendous difference for those candidates to be able to, you know, get the full MBA experience and achieve their career goals in one year rather than two. It's, it's, it's a very powerful value proposition. Yeah, that's really true. And as you pointed out, you know, the ROI on those degrees based on the calculations that Forbes does is exceptional. So you were saying the latest data shows it takes four years to get the payback on a Harvard or Stanford degree. And mm. how, how long again on INSEAD or IMD? Um, so it says 2.7 years for IMD and it's 2.6 years for INSEAD, 2.4 years for Cambridge Judge. So, I mean, that, that's very fast. Exactly. No, it's, that's uh, really, really a good point. The other thing you should note, though, is that generally one-year programs in terms of scholarship aid uh, tend not to be as generous uh, as some two-year programs because they don't need to be because they're more affordable to begin with. So that's that's also a thing. I mean, I think it's so hard for someone to make decisions on the basis of cost because the sticker prices are not the real prices. So it's kind of like, and it's not about your negotiating power really, because uh, there's a bit of a black box when it comes to how much aid you can get from a school. So, so you apply and you kind of don't know what it's really going to cost you until you get that offer back. And while some people have some negotiating power, it's pretty limited, really, because the schools don't want to get into a, a fight for you with another school uh, bidding against each other. That, that is rare when that happens, if it happens at all at some schools, because most schools refuse to do it at all. But it is hard to make this decision, this decision totally on cost, because you just don't know what the final price is going to be. The other thing is with the two-year program, you're going to have that summer internship. So you're going to be earning some cash. And those numbers are on our site as well, what interns are paid at different firms in, in different industries. And that and that takes down uh, some of the sting of the of the price tag as well. I think all three of us come down on one 
point here, we totally agree that it is worth it. The numbers are shocking, yes. The costs are significant, but all three of us believe this is a a top school, a no-brainer investment still. And if you look at the outgoing data right now, I think today the Wall Street Journal finally caught up with uh, stories that we've been running for three months, uh, that uh, salaries for MBAs are at record levels, uh, jobs are plentiful, uh, sign-on bonuses are pretty nice. So it's clear the rewards are there once you get the degree. Go out and apply. (laughs) All right, Uh, Maria and Caroline, thank you so much for this discussion. And for all of you out there, yeah, the price is high, but it's worth it. All three of us agree that the top MBA uh, from a great school is a no-brainer investment. Uh, sure, when you go and you look on the websites and you look at this article that we've just published on the cost of an MBA, you might be shocked, uh, but that is the price tag cost. Uh, you can you you can probably get a discount through fellowships and scholarships. You're going to have an internship and a two year program. Uh, your the payback is going to be four years or even two and a half and a one year program. So we think it's worth it. We hope you think it is too. Uh, Maria and Caroline, thanks for the discussion. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quads. Thanks for listening to Business Casual, our weekly podcast. 